Hello and welcome to Mindful of Everything with me, Agrita, a podcast giving an insight to the minds of deep thinkers, where in each episode I'll be discussing various thoughts and questions deep thinkers often find themselves mindful of, from topics such as climate change to self-development and everything else in between. So, let the journey of mind unravelling begin now. Before I begin today's episode, I would just like to remind you, if you haven't listened to part 1 and part 2.2, which was split into part 2.2.1 and 2.2.2, I recommend listening to those parts before you listen to today's episode because they're all part of a series explaining exactly why I think that climate change should be our priority. Today's episode is explaining the second reason as to why I think climate change should be our priority, and that is, if we prioritise climate change, we will be helping solve the issues related to agricultural practices and also to food security and how our food is essentially feeding climate change. So to make it a bit easier for you, I'm going to be splitting this episode into emissions related to fresh produce like fruits and vegetables and then emissions related to processed foods with an emphasis on meat and dairy emissions. And then of course at the end I'm going to be going over solutions as to how we, the public, can reduce our food carbon footprints and what the governments and farmers can be doing as well. So let's begin. When we talk about climate change and food, it's very easy for us to state the effects of climate change on food. So how our food security will be affected, how our crops will be affected, the crop yield, how it will affect the entire world. And it's true, the changing climate will alter what you can and what you can't grow. For example, harvest dates and flowering of plants have shifted significantly forward due to warmer climates, due to warmer temperatures. Extreme temperatures like heat waves also cause crop failure, which again weakens food security and also is a waste of energy and food. Changes in temperatures also introduce pests, which again impact food yield when they damage plants. You also have invasive weeds that again affect crop yield. So you have a lot of impact of climate change on food. Not just land, but aquaculture is also affected. Fish are starting to migrate due to warmer currents, which again is affecting fishing communities. Warmer temperatures also introduce invasives. So again, they'll be affecting fish stocks and essentially causing fish stocks to collapse. So we know the impacts of the climate on agriculture and how the changing climate will affect agriculture. But what about the impacts of agriculture on climate change? First of all, everything has a carbon footprint, especially the things that we make as humans. So food is no different and we would expect it to have less of a carbon footprint compared to other things. But actually, it is found that agriculture makes up 30% of the greenhouse gas emissions that we are emitting as humans into the atmosphere from human activity. So that's more than all of our transportation, it's more than all of our electricity, and it's more than all of our manufacturing put together. So agriculture is the single largest emitter of greenhouse gases compared to any other human activity in this world. Agriculture has a massive, massive impact on the climate. We always think that the changing climate is affecting our food, but it's true, our food is in fact feeding climate change. All of us so heavily emphasise on 
reducing transportation and reducing our energy usage, but we always forget about the impact of agriculture on the climate, even though agriculture is the single largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Not only does agriculture produce so many greenhouse gases, it also uses 70% of the 50% of freshwater supply that we already use. So there's only 1% of fresh water that we as humans can use. We only use 50% of that because it's readily available. And out of that 50%, 70% of that is used just for agriculture. So we have a water issue here as well. Not only water, we actually use 40% of the land on this planet just for agriculture. And that's 60% more than any other land use we have right now. You see so many people complaining about urban sprawls and protecting landscapes to prevent cities from being built there or houses from being built there. But in fact, agriculture is using 60 times more land than any other land use. So again, that just highlights just how distorted facts are and how we as a society haven't gotten it right. We have been emphasising on particular areas so much that we forget about other areas. For instance, we focus on CO2 emissions when methane is 84 times more potent in the short term. Again here, we focus on transportation and energy usage when agriculture is one of the main contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. So now that we know that agriculture has a massive impact on climate change, what exactly about agriculture is it that's causing all these emissions to occur? First of all, I'd just like to go through some of the foods that are contributing the most to climate change, so have the largest carbon footprint. If you look at the different types of milk, dairy milk produces the most amount of emissions, soy milk comes third place, and almond produces the least amount of emissions. Out of the starchy foods, rice produces the highest amount of emissions, pasta is second place, and bread is second to last. Potatoes actually produce the least amount of emissions, so if you do want starch, Definitely go for potatoes and either boil them or bake them. In terms of fruit and veg, avocados produce the highest amount of emissions, tomatoes are second place, and citrus fruits and apples produce the least amount of emissions. For proteins, of course, beef produces the most along with lamb. Farmed prawns and fish actually produce more emissions than pork and chicken do, so definitely try to cut down on your seafood. Tofu actually produces much less emissions than eggs. And peas and nuts almost produce zero emissions. I got this information from a food footprint calculator on the BBC. You can find the link to the article on my website. And you can just check for yourself, look at different things you eat and compare what produces more emissions than the other. But for today's episode, I'm going to be going through the two sort of main types of food and looking at the emissions for each. So the first being fresh fruit and vegetables and the second being processed foods, particularly meat and dairy. Fruit and veg actually produce less emissions than livestock on average in terms of per kilogram of CO2 produced. But they do produce substantial amounts of CO2. For instance, consuming fruit and vegetables contributes to 2.5% of UK's emissions. So you can tell how significant that is. By the way, sorry if I keep giving any UK stats, I live in London and for anyone that doesn't live in London, sorry for that. I try to provide as many global stats as I can but because I'm in the UK, the websites that come up are usually UK based. So sorry for that but it is still a very massive stat. Consuming fruit and vegetables contributes to 2.5% of the UK's emissions. If we look at the most greenhouse gas intensive fruit and vegetables, 
we have, first of all, air-fried food. So anything that's being prepared outside your country, like beans coming from Africa or berries coming from the US, it makes up two-fifths of transport emissions. So like I said, we are so consumed in trying to tell other people to reduce their transport, trying to tell ourselves to reduce transport, when air-fried food is making up two-fifths of transport emissions. Essentially, anything requiring the use of airplanes will be very emissions intensive. So air-fried food are the top in the list for the most greenhouse gas intensive fruit and vegetables. It becomes even worse if perishable items, so soft fruit and vegetables, are being transported and flown in because a lot of them will have to be thrown away, as you can imagine, which is a waste of energy. And the worst part of it is that it's really hard to find renewable alternatives to airplane fuel so we just need to cut down on the amount of air-fried food that we're having and try to get more local produce. So that's the overall effect of air-fried food, but we also need to remember that sometimes fried foods have less or slightly less emissions compared to foods grown in greenhouses. For instance, roses grown in greenhouses in Netherlands being transported to the UK produce more emissions than roses being flown over from Kenya to the UK. So it just depends on what fruit or vegetable or produce, like flowers, you are transporting and what requires what and if the production emissions will be greater than the flight or transport emissions. So we need to stop focusing on food miles and actually look at the overall, the total emissions of a food item. Just because it's been flown in doesn't mean it will be more greenhouse gas emission intensive compared to something that has been grown locally or grown in a country that's very close to your country and has been grown in greenhouses. This links into the next greenhouse intensive fruit and vegetables which are of course grown in greenhouses. Whether those greenhouses are being used for out of season fruits and vegetables or because a country's climate is not suitable for the particular type of fruit or vegetable that they're trying to grow. Greenhouses are usually used for less robust produce, so that's more perishable, like tomatoes, peppers, aubergines. Low-intensity produce are things that are grown out in the field that are more robust, like roots, so root vegetables. And like I said, just because something is local doesn't mean it's better for the environment or has less emissions or a smaller carbon footprint. For instance, DEFRA, so the UK Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, measured the greenhouse emissions from tomato production in greenhouses in the UK and tomato production from the field-grown imported tomatoes from Spain. And it was found that UK tomatoes grown in greenhouses actually use three times more energy than Spanish tomatoes. So again, they're using a lot more fossil fuels. The warmer climate in Spain obviously means that you can grow tomatoes out in the field. The UK doesn't have that climate. So if we were to transport tomatoes from Spain to the UK compared to growing tomatoes locally in the UK and using greenhouses, we will be using less emissions. So again, we need to just realise that just because we're flying stuff in doesn't mean that the emissions of that air-frighted food will be greater than a local produce. It depends on how we produce the items. But again, we need to look at the bigger picture. We can't just rely on food miles or the emissions related to transport. We need to look at how the things are being made and also if the methods of production are sustainable or not. So like we said, greenhouses produce more emissions than field-grown tomatoes. 
But in Spain, they usually rely on plastic tunnels to grow their produce. And those plastic tunnels aren't sustainable. They have to keep changing them. Again, that's using plastic. And that plastic will have its own emissions. So we do need to think about looking at individual stages of a fruit or vegetable's life cycle and totaling up the emissions to see which location will be better to source a particular item. And again, every single item has a different carbon footprint. You can't really compare emissions from cherry tomatoes to standard tomatoes because the production is different and the emissions, of course, will be different. But essentially, our main concern is transportation in these cases. So the best thing we can do is just to switch to renewable energy or at least make most of our energy from renewables. Another greenhouse gas-intensive fruit and veg is actually pre-prepared and chopped fruit or vegetables. In life, everybody wants to go for the easier option. Everybody wants the washed fruit and vegetables. Everybody wants the prepared salad bowls and the fruit bowls. But they are actually using much more water. And of course, they're using more energy to chop up those fruit and vegetables. So if you can, definitely just go for original fresh produce that hasn't been prepared in any way to reduce your food carbon footprint. Also, highly perishable foods like bananas and tomatoes produce more greenhouse gas emissions because of the packaging. Again, the packaging is mostly plastic and the shipping costs will also increase because they're perishable foods. They might need to be refrigerated and again, energy usage is increasing. Also, another greenhouse gas intensive fruit and vegetable is just the packaged ones, the ones that are packaged with plastic. So if you really can, just try to get loose vegetables and loose fruits instead of relying on the packaged ones. Because again, plastic, every single single use plastic we're using has its own emissions, like I mentioned in part 2.2. And it's just very unnecessary. So definitely try to go for loose vegetables and fruits when you can. Okay, so that were the emissions related to fruits and vegetables. Now I'm going to go on to the emissions related to processed foods. There are many different types of processed foods and because they're processed, it makes sense that they would have a carbon footprint. So you have things like frozen processed foods. Because you have to refrigerate them, especially when you're transporting them to supermarkets or from the manufacturing point to the supermarkets, you do need to refrigerate the frozen goods and of course that is going to be using quite a lot of energy and then you're refrigerating them in supermarkets so that's using even more energy aka producing emissions due to using fossil fuels. You also have processed foods like sweets especially chocolate. Chocolate actually produces quite a lot of emissions due to the cocoa bean extraction and then manufacturing the chocolate. In fact dark chocolate actually produces more emissions than milk chocolate because again it's using more cocoa bean and then that has to be extracted so of course try to avoid chocolate because it's not great for your health but if you can get milk or if you're a vegan just skip it altogether. The problem with processed foods is that it usually is air freighted. It is flown in from different places because production is probably cheaper in other places compared to the countries being flown into. Not only that processed foods use a lot of packaging and most of it is definitely plastic. Again, plastic packaging has its own emissions, then you're flying them in, it has its own emissions. So processed foods are quite bad for climate change because of the carbon footprint they have. Even canned items, I said in part 2.2 how metal is probably the best alternative to plastic if we use only recycled metals. And that's all great if we use recycled metals, but most people are still using, most companies are still using virgin metals and extraction of metals is just very damaging to the environment. 
Then you also have processed items like palm oil. Palm oil is basically in every single thing that we use. Well, nearly every single thing. Whether that's toothpaste, whether that's ice cream or chocolate or shampoo. Palm oil is in basically everything. And the problem is, due to the increase in demand for palm oil, deforestation is increasing rapidly. Indonesia is the largest palm oil provider. And because of the high demand, forests have just been heavily deforested just to plant palm trees to make the palm oil that the whole world needs. And it's very, very difficult for them. People are being displaced, orangutans have been pushed to extinction. The dust particles from the deforestation and the fires have made it very difficult for the Indonesian people to live in a healthy and sustainable way. It's very, very bad, but because of the demand, because of the high demand, Indonesia is continuing to deforest. It's exactly the same issue as in the Amazon. Because of the high demand for leather and beef and lamb products and chicken, people in the Amazon keep burning down parts of the Amazon. Not only are majority of Indonesia's forests being deforested, Indonesia also has vast amounts of peatlands and palm trees need dry land. So companies that are providing palm oil to the rest of the world are draining those peatlands. The problem with that is that peatlands are very high in carbon. They have a high carbon content. So if you drain that, you're releasing all of that locked carbon into the atmosphere. And not only that, you're making that area fire prone. You're making it very flammable. So if a wildfire does occur, it's going to be very, very hard to control. So palm oil has just become very hazardous for the planet because of the way we're producing it. Greenpeace has actually exposed many companies like Nestle, Mars, Unilever, the list goes on, that have been supplying palm oil from unsustainable companies. Those companies have now pledged to stop supplying palm oil from such companies, but they've given the year 2020 for them to fully stop. They should have stopped that ages ago, but I guess at least they've said they'll stop it. But we still need to urge companies to not supply from unsustainable industries that are providing palm oil. Not just palm oil, basically any resource. We shouldn't be burning down millions of trees just so we can plant palm trees. We can do that in a sustainable way. And the way you can help in this situation is to buy products that say sustainable palm oil at the back. There are many, many products like that. For instance, I have a dairy-free butter and at the back it says sustainable palm oil. So it's not hard to find. You just need to put in a little bit more effort to find those products because ultimately, Yes, the people of Indonesia will be affected more than you, but it will be affecting the entire global climate. And that's why we are calling this a climate crisis. It's not just affecting one area, but the entire climate of the planet, aka all of us. So definitely try to look out for that label saying sustainable palm oil for any food product or even hair products, basically anything that you buy on a daily basis. Just look out for that sign. Not only that, you can also look out for the Rainforest Alliance certified logo to make sure that whatever you're buying is sourced sustainably from rainforests rather than people deforesting entire areas just to provide the item that you just bought. Sugar, which is another processed food, also is very, very bad for the environment if we source it in a very unsustainable way, which most people are. Again, you have people deforesting vast amounts of areas just to grow sugar canes and again, that is to supply the world's demand for sugar. You have destruction of the coral reef in Australia because chemicals are being washed off 
into the oceans and of course that's affecting coral reef. You have Papua New Guinea that has seen a 40% drop in soil fertility because of the heavy sugarcane cultivation that's happening there. So sugar again, something that we wouldn't even imagine is going to be affecting the planet. It is. So again, you can look for companies like Bon Sucro, which is making sure that sugar is sustainably sourced. So look out for labels of Bon Sucro. Again, you can find all the links on my website and you can see how the logos look like. And there are many other companies that also source sugar in a sustainable way. Also, many products would just say sustainably sourced. So again, look out for that as well. It's not difficult. You just need to take a few more seconds of your life to look out for those logos. So if you lower your consumption of refined products like palm oil and sugar, alcohol as well, just by 20%, you will be cutting down the emissions related to those refined products by 43%. So not only are refined products like sugar and alcohol bad for your health across the long term, it is also bad for the planet. So definitely try to cut down your consumption of processed foods like sugar and unhealthy frozen items. It will be better for your health and also better for the health of the planet. Another processed food I like to go over is soya and it's a bit difficult for me to hear but this is the truth. Deforestation for the soya plant is actually massive and that is one of the reasons why the Amazon fires have occurred. A lot of land is being cleared off just for soy and many people actually start blaming vegetarians and vegans because their diet is primarily soy, whether that's tofu or soya milk. But I would just like to clear up the assumptions that because vegans and vegetarians their numbers are increasing, deforestation for the soy plants will increase. Only, I'd like you to listen to this properly, only 6% of the soy plant that is grown globally is eaten by humans. Only 6%. So the other 94% is actually grown just to feed cattle, just to feed livestock. That for me is just massive. That imbalance is massive. So if you're a person that is blaming vegetarians and vegans for relying on soy, you're actually wrong. Or if anybody else is telling you, oh, it's vegetarians and vegans that are the problem for the soy plant and the deforestation surrounded by the soy plant. No, that's not the case. Soy plant is mainly used to feed cattle and just livestock in general. So what can you actually do? Just try your best to buy soy products that are, again, sustainably sourced. It will say at the back of the product that you're buying if that soy is sustainably sourced or not. So basically for anything, just look out for the sustainable logo. Even on the items you think, oh, this won't have palm oil in it or this won't have soy in it. Just look out for that logo. Basically, anything you're buying should be sustainably sourced, should be sustainably made. Now for the final processed foods that I wanted to properly focus on is meat and dairy. So like I said in part 2 and part 2.2, livestock produce a lot of emissions. Food Source has said, livestock actually contribute to 14.5% of our total greenhouse gas emissions. 14.5%. That is a massive part of our emissions. An independent article that I read said that meat and dairy companies are actually one of the biggest contributors to climate change, perhaps even bigger than fossil fuel industries. So like I said at the beginning of this episode, we have focused so much on reducing energy usage and reducing transport usage, which are all very, very good and we should still do that. But it's like we've completely forgotten the agricultural sector. 
we've forgotten about the emissions related to that and even if some of us know we just don't pay attention to that because reducing the number of times you take your car and reducing your energy usage is going to be the best way forward. Agriculture has a massive amount of input to our greenhouse gas emissions and yes we should be paying attention to our energy usage and transport but we need to also start looking at the emissions related to agriculture and livestock produce a lot of those emissions related to agriculture. And if we continue on with the way we're producing meat and dairy, livestock sector can actually make up 80% of the allowed greenhouse gas budget we have right now. That is again so massive. Just livestock alone will be making up 80% of our allowed greenhouse gas budget if we continue on like this. So there's no way forward except that we do need to significantly slash meat and dairy production throughout the world, especially industries that produce vast amounts of emissions. So countries like China, the US, the EU, Canada, Brazil, Argentina, New Zealand, Australia, they actually make up 60% of the global meat and dairy emissions just because the demand there is so high for meat. And that's twice of the rest of the world on a per capita basis. So these countries need to actually slash their meat and dairy production much more than the rest of the world. Of course, everybody needs to be slashing their dairy and meat consumption, but these countries need to do much, much more because of the demand of meat and dairy. Again, this is not my way to say you need to turn vegetarian or vegan. That is your choice. If you want to become a vegetarian or a vegan, that is your choice. But if you don't want to, at least cut down your meat and dairy consumption. We all know that meat and dairy over a long term is not good for your health, especially as you're getting older. It's not good for your health, so why don't you just cut down your meat and dairy and substitute that with fruit and vegetables? Because yes, fruit and vegetables do have their own carbon footprints, but it's much less compared to the meat and dairy people are consuming so much more. If we globally don't cut down our meat and dairy consumption and we keep over-consuming, we're just going to be encouraging deforestation like the fires happening in the Amazon. And that is causing a rapid depletion of natural resources. Not only that, we will be continuing on to overuse antibiotics for the livestock that people are eating. And we all know that having an overdose of antibiotics is not good for you, it's not good for anyone, it's not good for anyone's health. So again, we just need to cut down on our meat and dairy consumption for yourself and for the planet. If you were to break down the emissions related to each livestock, FAO, Food and Agricultural Organization of the UN, states that cattle, so cattle being raised for beef or milk or manure for energy usage, cattle represent 65% of the emissions related to livestock. That is a massive, massive part of the emissions just related to livestock. Beef actually accounts for 41% of livestock emissions and cow milk accounts for 20% of the overall greenhouse gas emissions. Pig meat makes up 9% of the emissions Buffalo meat makes up 8% along with buffalo milk and chicken meats and eggs make up 8%. So the main driver for the livestock emissions is actually beef. And that is exactly why I said if you can't cut down, let's say, chicken, you can cut down beef and lamb because they're producing the most amount of emissions to raise the cattle and then, of course, produce the meat. But the main reason as to why livestock produce a lot of emissions 
is actually because of the feed production that is used for livestock. So growing that feed and processing it to make it digestible for the animals, it actually makes up 45% of livestock emissions. So that feed, like I said, the soy, the 94% of soy that we grow that is being used to feed livestock is actually producing the most amount of emissions when we talk about livestock emissions. Manure storage actually produces only 10% and the remainder is for transporting and processing meat. So the transportation and the processing of meat is not even that much of a problem. It's the feed. The feed that we're providing livestock to of course eat and then you use their meat to source it to the rest of the world. That feed, the way we're producing that feed or the type of feed, especially soy, that is the main reason why livestock is producing so many emissions. And that is exactly why livestock is a very important driver for the deforestation that's happening in the Amazon and all around the world because we need to clear up land just to grow feed for those animals. What's really bad is that much of the world's grain production is actually just used to feed animals. Up to one third of arable land is dedicated just to produce feed for animals. So that brings in a whole big ethical issue there as well. We're using food that we humans could be eating just to feed those animals and most of that feed that we're producing it's very inefficient. It uses a lot of energy and is also inefficient in the sense that it doesn't digest as well for the livestock. So we're wasting so much energy producing inefficient feed for animals and we're also using that feed for animals when we could be feeding ourselves. So there's a lot of problems here related to meat and dairy production. I keep saying emissions here but I haven't really clarified what I mean by the emissions. 44% of the emissions that we're talking about for livestock is actually methane. So 44% of the emissions I keep talking about is methane and the rest is nitrous oxide and CO2. So the main problem with livestock is the amount of methane they produce and like I said in part one and I've kept on saying this throughout this series, methane is 84 times more potent than CO2 in the short term. So if methane is being produced a lot because of livestock, we have a massive problem in our hands. I started this episode off talking about fresh fruit and vegetable emissions and then now I'm talking about processed foods. I just want to compare the two so you can actually understand the massive difference between fruit and vegetable production emissions and processed food emissions, especially meat and dairy. The stats that I'm going to be giving you right now is from an article on the Oxford website. Again, you will find it on my website. Just to produce 100 grams of beef, so 100 grams of protein in beef, high-impact beef producers release 105 kilograms of CO2 and then use 370 meters squared of land just to produce 100 kilograms of beef. Compare that to low-impact beans, peas and plant-based proteins. If you make 100 grams of protein from plant-based materials, you are only producing 0.3 kilograms of CO2 and using one meter squared of land to produce the same amount of proteins as our beef that released 105 kilograms of CO2 and used 370 meters squared of land. That is a massive difference. So yes, fruit and vegetables have their own carbon footprint and again, we should find a better way to reduce the emissions related to fruit and vegetables 
but compared to beef and compared to meat and dairy production, it's basically nothing. Basically nothing. Just to compare dairy and non-dairy milk, a low-impact litre of cow's milk uses twice as much land and produces double the amount of emissions as a litre of soy milk. And the same Oxford article has said that on average, plant-based diets reduce food emissions by up to 73%. Of course, it depends on where you live, how items are sourced, but overall, plant-based diets reduce food emissions by up to 73%. And these emissions include things like emissions from producing fertilisers and also processes like eutification. Also, plant-based diets reduce freshwater usage by up to a quarter. Again, cutting down your meat and dairy consumption will be so, so beneficial for this planet. It's not like I'm saying it because I am a vegan. I'm saying this because the science says so. The stats say so. It's better for the environment and it's not because I think it's better. It's because science has shown it's better. So overall, we need to just cut down on our meat and dairy consumption. It's not just livestock, but you also have emissions through aquaculture. For example, the carbon footprint of some shellfish are actually very similar to meats like lamb and beef. Again, that's massive. I didn't know that. Some shellfish produce the same amount of emissions as beef and lamb, which are the biggest emitters of livestock, as I said. And most seafood actually have similar footprints to chicken. So aquaculture is still impacting the planet. Most of us wouldn't even imagine that the animals in the sea that we're picking for seafood will be having a massive impact like the cattle on the land. So again, we just need to look at these things properly. We need to examine the scientific facts properly to realise where is the biggest emissions coming from and how can we reduce them. What I found actually quite shocking about aquaculture is that apparently... Emissions related to aquaculture has increased by 30% between 1990 and 2011. But the number of seafood that has been caught hasn't increased the slightest, which means that demand for expensive seafood like shellfish and lobsters and crabs, they're just increasing. And like I said, carbon footprints of some shellfish, especially lobsters, they have similar carbon footprints to meats like beef and lamb. So if our demand for those shellfish are increasing, the emissions will obviously increase. How exactly do shellfish have high carbon footprints? The problem is with how we are fishing them. Fishing vessels that are picking up all these shellfish, they are again powered by fossil fuels and just fishing for crustaceans is actually a very carbon intensive process and the most carbon intensive fleets are actually used just to fish crustaceans probably because of their weight of their shells so again because our demand for shellfish is increased people just want to buy a more expensive seafood product the emissions related to aquaculture is increasing again what can you do just cut down on the amount of seafood you're having especially shellfish especially crustaceans but what can fishermen do? One of the main things they can do is just use less energy intensive fishing techniques. So usually people use the traditional fishing net technique, so the fish trawl method. And just to pick up all those fish and crustaceans from the ocean through nets actually uses quite a lot of energy. If we just used fish traps instead, so placed large sort of metal boxes that would catch the fish and from there on people can take out the fish 
apparently that uses less energy, especially for crustaceans, compared to using the fishing net method. So that's one way we can reduce the emissions related to aquaculture. I would have liked to finish off this episode talking about solutions, but again, I have talked a lot and this episode has become quite long. Like you said, most of you like 30 to 40 minute length episodes. So I'm sorry again. I will talk about the solutions for reducing our emissions related to agriculture in a separate episode. Again, I'll do the whole weird point thing. I will have to split this episode into 3.1 and 3.2. Again, apologies for that, but definitely look out for the solutions episode that will be right after this episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you've gained a little more insight to what it's like to be mindful of everything. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on your favourite podcast app to be up to date with episode releases and go over to my website mindfuloveverything.home.blog to get more information. This is Agrita with the Mindful of Everything podcast and I shall see you next time.